you know, when I talk about doing things down the holistic route with my doctor, why is he so douchey about it? There's a lot of arrogance <laughs> in the medical field. That's a great way to put it. Yeah. And it's not all, all, a lot of medical doctors are open-minded and actually say like, hey, if you want to try this or take this, go for it. I think that there's some, you know, good options out there. Um, a lot of them are like adamantly against it and they yeah. put it down and they claim that there's no efficacy and it's just not their specialty, Jamie. It'd be like asking your plumber for financial advice. Medical doctors get less than two courses throughout their whole medical um, you know, medical career or, or studies rather in nutrition. So they're not trained in nutrition. They're not trained in supplementation. They're not trained in all these things. They're trained to diagnose disease and prescribe pharmaceutical drugs and abide by the standard of care set forth by the medical system. So it's just a completely different paradigm. So even though it's in the same field, it's just not the same. It'd be like saying, hey, why can't my massage therapist do acupuncture on me? It's like, yeah, they're both health and wellness, but they're not at all related in that sense. And unless they went out and took it upon themselves to study and learn and, and you know, add to their knowledge base, conventional schooling is not going to teach a medical doctor the things that I work with people on and as far as nutrition, lifestyle and overall, you know, kind of health optimization strategies. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the show. Today's guest, Ryan Kennedy, is a functional medicine practitioner and board-certified clinical nutritionist. He's also an author. Uh, he's got a podcast, and he's featured in uh, publications like The Wall Street Journal, GQ, Yahoo Lifestyle, National Geographic. The list goes on and on and on. I learned of him through some guys in GoBundance who who patronize what he does, his services, and and all of what he teaches. Uh, and he's going to talk a little bit more about that today. But Ryan, man, welcome. Thanks for thanks for being here. Grateful to be here, man. Always good to connect with you, Jamie. Absolutely, absolutely. Just a reminder to everybody: go to GoBundance.com, fill out an application. No matter where you are, we got a community for you. And from the podcast perspective, subscribe. Give us a rating and review. Let us know how you think about the show, what you think about the show. It helps us to grow uh, what we're doing here. So, Ryan, uh, big words, at least in my vocabulary, functional medicine practitioner and board certified clinical nutritionist. It's a mouthful. How did you get from, <laughs> from wherever you're from to there? Kind of give us the backstory of you. I got interested in health and fitness from a pretty early age because I played competitive sports throughout high school and into college, played lacrosse and water polo. And my passion for health really spun out of a tragedy. Um, I, when I was 14, my mom was diagnosed with cancer. And at the time, I didn't really know the extent of what that meant or any other options other than what she went through, which is the allopathic medical system. So there's really three major categories in there. You know, you have chemotherapy, radiation, and surgery. And I remember her oncologist telling her, like, what you eat doesn't matter. No vitamins or minerals or herbs can help you. There's really no other options but to take these drugs and hope for the best. Mm. And unfortunately, despite, you know, doing what they she was instructed and really being hopeful, she passed two years later. And this was in 2010. I was 16. And it really was a wake up call for me and understanding, like, our health is our most valuable resource without it. Nothing else really matters. And, you know, as I was kind of looking at what she was doing and with the information she was told, I realized it was in large part due to this misinformation that she passed, not just about the treatment options, Jamie, but also the misinformation she and hundreds of millions of people have received up to that point with terrible nutrition recommendations through the food guide pyramid and terrible recommendations around just health and wellness in general. A lot of just terrible advice. And she was following it, doing the best that she could, you know, swapping out butter for margarine and doing all these things. And now we look back on it and it's like, oh, this was horrendous advice, you know, getting all these low fat products that are just loaded with extra sugar to make them somewhat palatable. And so <clears throat> that really spun me off into pursuing health and wellness is, you know, something I was personally interested in. I don't want to die young. My mom was only 54 when she passed. And I realized, you know, What's the one thing that you can invest in is yourself. And so I started going to all these symposiums. I was studying kinesiology in my undergrad. And that, you know, was kind of in large part because I was really into fitness and exercise science and pursuing some uh, physical therapy as a career path. And as I was working in a physical therapy clinic, I realized the physical stuff is great. I love the biomechanics and, you know, different exercise methodologies, but if you're not dialing in your nutrition, your sleep, your stress management, replenishing different vitamin and mineral deficiencies, 
having a mindfulness and meditative practice, all these different pillars of health, it, the physical stuff is only going to take you so far. Like I love training and lifting weights and I think exercise is very helpful, but it's only one of many aspects uh, that comprise how we feel, how long we live and our overall vitality as a human. So that kind of spun me into going back to school and studying naturopathic medicine and clinical nutrition and realizing, you know, there's so much more to this equation that really moves the needle for people. And that brings me to kind of where I'm at today, where I run a full-time practice. I work with patients uh, all virtually, a lot of GoBundance guys, which I've been very honored to be integrated into that community because uh, all the GoBros I work with are awesome. And <clears throat> so that's a big part of, you know, my mission with this is really in honor of my mom and, you know, the struggle she went through and really doing everything I can to provide, you know, useful information to people to avoid chronic disease, but also just to feel good, man. At the end of the day, like our quality of life is what really matters. So having the energy and the mood and the vitality and the sex drive and the overall, uh, you know, kind of mindset to feel good day to day, whether you live another 10 days or another 10 decades, it's like, it's, we, we all want to feel good day to day and be pain-free and, and so that's a big part of what I do now is more so on the health optimization side of things. How much of, so I, when I think about holistic medicine or holistic practitioner, that phrase, right. And I'm, I'm 44. So, you know, I'm, I'm kind of coming from the, the uh, I'm in that spot of like, I, I've got some old man, old man beliefs that I can still modify. My brain isn't locked in yet fully mm -hmm. on some things, um, but I'm starting to get into that. Like you kids in your music age, right? Like I'm getting, I'm getting to that point, yeah. but I know that if you were to mention like just mainstream a decade, 15 years ago, the concept of holistic health, right. Or holistic medicine or holistic practitioners, it would sound very much like 90% woo and 10% real science. Like, well, yeah, of course, you know, more fruits, more veggies. I mean, that's pretty much what they're peddling over there. These, these wacky stoned out, you know, whatever holistic people like that's, yeah. I'm sure I'm not alone in that being kind of the vision of the industry. But I think today, you know, we're getting closer to that 50, 50 point. I don't think we're there yet probably, but what is the, what is your take on that is my first question. I had two questions, but I want to start with one at a time here. What's your take on that? Where is the practice or the holistic, holistic practitioner I don't know, industry or, or uh, I didn't even want to call it that because that's terrible because it's like medical industry and you're actually, you're kind of the anti-industry on that side of the business. But what is the, what is, how, how are you viewed today from being in this every day? And you talk to people, maybe people that are not even, no idea what you're doing. Like how many bent eyebrows do you get today versus maybe you did three years ago or five years ago, or is it about the same? Like, I guess what's the broad acceptance of holistic uh, practitioners today versus five or 10 years ago? The tide is shifting for sure. Like you said, a lot of people are waking up to the fact that they don't want to be on pharmaceutical drugs the rest of their lives. They're tired of the side effects and just five minute appointments where physicians are not really going deep and just kind of giving them a pill to suppress their symptoms. Yeah. And a lot of people are also, yeah, I feel like health is becoming more cool. Like when I first got into this, yeah. talking about a lot of this stuff wasn't like seen as cool. But now you have like, I'll have people reach out to me on social media who are in like high school and, and college where this was never a topic of discussion when I was in high school. But they're like thinking, oh man, this is awesome. Like being healthy, looking fit, all these things are great. And so I live in a bit of an echo chamber, Jamie, in that like I'm biased. So for me to say like, hey, a lot of people are, are accepting to alternative healing modalities and biohacking and health optimization wouldn't really do it, your answer justice because I'm also living this stuff. So people yeah. that come to me are interested in it by default because they're finding me on YouTube or podcasting or whatever it is or being referred to me. And I also you know, have a community and friends and people in my network who are all game to feel better and optimize naturally. So this is also kind of skews my interpretation of how many people, because I'm not in like the Midwest where there are a lot of people that are like, why would you take vitamins? That's crazy. Like, just go see a doctor, go see a real doctor, you know? <laughs> and so I, I don't know like what percentage, but it, I definitely see the tide shifting and that it's becoming more and more accepted. And just people are building a deeper level of awareness of like, Hey, your health is in your hands. Like modern medicine is great. I don't want to discount that. You know, I've had some terrible crashes on my dirt bike and I'm glad I can go to the hospital and get stitched up and be able to get put back together. So for trauma care and infectious disease, it's phenomenal. 
phenomenal. Like, don't take me to a naturopath if I get in a car accident and I want to go to the hospital. But at the same token, it's very much so disease management. It's very much so like once you get sick, we have a few options to help you kind of stay where you're at or not regress too much more. Whereas it's not really looking at how can you optimize? How can you prevent illness in the first place? Because there's no money in health. All the money is in disease. So yeah. healthy people would put this multi-trillion dollar industry completely out of business. So they don't want you to be optimally healthy or else that they, they lose all their customers. Is there, is there a, it's funny you mentioned about infectious disease. So you mentioned your mother's story, which is incredible and tragic. Like you said, very sad. And it is amazing how much more we know today than we did, you know, even a few years ago, but especially that far, that far back. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm sorry to hear about that. Truly. I know it's been a long time, but still that, you know, as a son and as a father, that that's just, that's one of the scariest things for me is leaving my kids early, you know, but, yeah. um, how much on, on like in her story, because I think about the uptake rate on on holistic practitioners, like I think I think if you were to talk to people about proactive care, it makes total sense. You mentioned biohacking and, you know, uh, ideally supplementing yourself and nutritional practices and exercise habits and all of that. Like that's that all makes sense. I think that's very mainstream. But if I got cancer and I said, I'm not going to the doctor for chemo and all these treatments. I'm going to go see my naturopath or my natural, natural, my holistic medicine provider. Is that, first of all, is that the right decision from your perspective? And two, what's the, what's the acceptance rate of that right now? The acceptance rate of that right now is again, hard to say, because I'm working yeah. with people who are already in that camp, who come to me, who said, I've already made this choice. So I sought out a practitioner to help me on this journey. Uh, as far as the other question you had, as far as the success rate, and if, in my perspective, that's the right opinion or yeah. a right choice, it really yeah. depends on the type of cancer. There are certain chemotherapy agents that are very effective. I don't want to discount it. It's not all black or white, like good or bad. There are a number of them that are extremely damaging and don't actually extend lifespan by any significant degree and aren't really worth you know, pursuing in my perspective. So you got to look at the research. It depends on the stage, what type of cancer the individual has. It also depends on their willingness to adhere to certain lifestyle changes, dietary changes. There's a lot of people where modern medicine fits them very well, Jamie, because they don't want to change their diet. They want to continue to eat a bunch of sugary and, you know, junk food and not really have to be mindful and exert discipline. And they don't want to exercise and they don't want to do all these things. They just want to take a pill and, you know, kind of get that easy um, low barrier of entry from the medical system. Whereas a lot of things that in that kind of the natural health space require effort, require discipline, require a willingness to change some of the habits and things that got you to where you are. And so it, it does very much depend on the person and the situation. But I think there's always a, co a space for a combination of both. Like just because you're doing chemotherapy or radiation doesn't mean you can't improve your diet. It doesn't mean you can't incorporate some immune support or some detoxification strategies or things that are going to help you in conjunction with whatever conventional therapy you've chosen to, to go with. And I have people I work with that are in that camp. They're doing both. Like, let's explore both options. Um, and so it, it just, it varies. Has, has, is there, I don't know. I don't even know. Are there cases of cancer survivors or cancer being, uh, uh, actually I think of one person maybe that I already know, but cancer being eliminated without traditional medical uh, uh, intervention, but specifically only by working with a holistic practitioner? Hundreds of thousands. No kidding. I mean, okay. I mean tons of case studies and many um, people that are extremely well known for helping individuals reverse cancer, utilizing these natural therapies. And so there's actually one of the best resources for this. If anyone has a family member who's going through this journey or uh, then themselves is you know going through this, a guy named Ty Bollinger started a website called The Truth About Cancer. And he was a former CPA and he essentially devoted his life to this because he lost his mom and his dad to cancer. And so he made these docu-series where he goes around and interviews some of the top oncologists, both in the modern medical system, also in the natural kind of health system, and put together these incredible resources uh, where, you know, lots of videos, blog posts, and just information um, for people to kind of get an idea of like, all right, what options do I have? Where is the efficacy? Are there people reversing cancer like the one I have in the condition I'm in naturally? What are they doing? What supplements are they taking? What lifestyle changes are they making? And so he's done a good job compiling 
a, just a ton of information in that space and really opening up a lot of people's eyes to some of the pitfalls of modern oncology and also some of the good sides, some of the benefits of it. Yeah. My, I think Hal Elrod's another guy. He yep. might've done chemo for a little bit at the beginning of his treatment plan, but I think he, um, I think he credits, you know, his commitment to a, you know, a more natural or holistic lifestyle uh, to, I mean, killing what was supposed to be. I think if I remember right, it was 70, 70% chance of him uh, dying versus living, or maybe it was greater than that, but he reversed those odds and he's living a, you know, a, a healthy life today. Um, mm -hmm. And you can see it on him. He looks fit, you know, he's in good shape and yeah. all that. So um why is so maybe i think other people i'm asking this for me but i know other people have said the same thing about about this so i'll ask it in my context but why is my doctor like so you you talked about hey look there's a place for both you know it depends on your 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 uh uh your thoughts or how you want to handle like do you not want to eat the sugary food do you want to do chemo but also improve your diet like there's a place for both kind of modern medicine uh or or traditional medicine along with a, the, a holistic practitioner to help you if you're dealing with disease or whatever it might be you know when i talk about doing things down the holistic route with my doctor why is he so douchey about it there's a lot of arrogance <laughs> in the medical field that's a great way to put it yeah. and it's not all, all a lot of medical doctors are open-minded and to actually say like hey if you want to try this or take this go for it i think that there's some you know good options out there um a lot of them are like adamantly against it and they yeah. put it down and they claim that there's no efficacy and it's just not their specialty, Jamie. It'd be like asking your plumber for financial advice. Medical doctors get less than two courses throughout their whole medical, um, you know, medical career or or studies rather in nutrition. So they're not trained in nutrition. They're not trained in supplementation. They're not trained in all these things. They're trained to diagnose disease and prescribe pharmaceutical drugs and abide by the standard of care set forth by the medical system. So it's just a completely different paradigm. So even though it's in the same field. It's just not the same. It'd be like saying, hey, why can't my massage therapist do acupuncture on me? It's like, yeah, they're both health and wellness, but they're not at all related in that sense. And unless they went out and took it upon themselves to study and learn and, and you know, add to their knowledge base, conventional schooling is not going to teach a medical doctor the things that I work with people on and as far as nutrition, lifestyle and overall, you know, kind of health optimization strategies. Why is this all big pharma? Not to get into like conspiracy yeah, yeah. theories here, but but I mean, what is the what's the you know universities are paid a ton of money by the student body. I mean, maybe there's I'm sure there's money coming from you know corporate interests or whatever as well. But like, why? Why other than that? Is that the reason? Is it just the lobbying interests of big pharmaceuticals or big food companies is so strong that you know that it shapes the way we teach our doctors? Is that it? I think that, I mean, that's a large part of it. I don't want to get right. too down the rabbit hole. It's a tinfoil hat. No, no, no. This in, is just you and me talking. Nobody's yeah, listening. Yeah, yeah. In the early 1900s, uh, the Rockefellers actually made a huge push yeah. that created the current medical system in terms of like medical schools. And they funded all these medical schools. And then they made this huge push to essentially discredit all of these natural health modalities, whether it be chiropractic, homeopaths, naturopaths, all these individuals that were helping people get well naturally, they made this huge campaign to squash all their efforts, call them charlatans, call them bigot, you know, just really discredit the work that they were doing and say, this is medicine. This is healthcare. This is what wow. you guys need to do. And they had that. a lot of financial interest in the pharmaceutical route. And so that's what sparked it. And then what's continued it is, you know, you just follow the money and you kind of look at how much someone can make by teaching people to eat well and, you know, exercise and live a natural, you know, good lifestyle versus how much money there is to be made in some of these pharmaceutical drugs. It just doesn't even com compare. You know, it's crazy. You think about, I didn't know that about the Rockefellers on the medical side. I've talked a lot about that on the education side, right? So the, the, uh, the fact that the, you know, the industrial revolution was a time when families like the Rockefellers were very interested in creating factory workers, right? Mm -hmm. And I guess it makes sense. Um, but on top of that, to have an impact on medicine, because to your point, prior to whatever 120 years ago we didn't learn the way we learn in schools that's just it's never been the experiment has been the last 120 years right and now people are just now starting to say this doesn't make sense for my kid like i'm going the non-traditional route where are those parents either homeschooling or you know yeah. uh, montessori type education or acton academy or all these different alternative schooling options what's elon musk synthesis seven or whatever the hell he calls it mm -hmm. um 
that thing, right? Like all these different alternative, uh, 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 not even alternative, but I guess back to traditional education means, right? Like the alternative has been school. And it's the same with medicine, it sounds like. Like we're in that era now where, like you said, holistic practitioners becoming more and more mainstream and rightfully so there's more of an interest in the individual than how do i how do i you know treat with drug a or drug b and well drug b is paying me more so i'll give you drug b mm-hmm. or whatever it might be uh that's just really interesting even psychedelics like you know the hippies kind of ruin that and they're coming back there's just this return to so many different modalities i guess between education and, and uh uh medicine and everything else that that i guess were had momentum in the turn of the century, 1900 era, now coming back now is really interesting to me. Fascinating. No, I think Um, it's a big push in general, man, with society of in the last couple of years has definitely shown this and taught people this to get your head out of your ass, not listen to every single thing you're spoon fed by the government and think for yourself, do your own research and make an informed opinion based on information that's not on mainstream news networks. Yeah. Now shit happens, right? Like you're a kid, you get, uh, my kid just got through hand, foot and mouth or whatever, my younger kid, right? Hand, foot and mouth disease, um, you know, strep throat, uh, whatever. Can you exist without something like antibiotics or other medicine like that? Like, in other words, if you went the fully holistic route, those diseases I'm going to assume would still happen. You're still susceptible to, you know, whatever you touch something and you, you get this, this bacterial infection. Can you go without an antibiotic, for instance, uh, in treatment or, or other things that just seem to be like, almost like the, you, you almost like, at least my, like you must have this when this kind of, you know, medicine in exchange for disease mindset is, is there, it, let's start with antibiotics. Is it possible to, to exist and deal with bacterial infection or bacterial disease without an antibiotic? There are a lot of excellent natural antibiotics, you know, everything from oil of oregano to colloidal silver to ozone to, I mean, all these different things that have been time and proven for hundreds, if not thousands of years to really exert good antibiotic properties in terms of killing off bacteria. And many of them also have antifungal, antiviral properties as well. Now, a lot of the natural options aren't going to be as hard of hitting as pharmaceutical great antibiotics. So what I personally do, again, I'm not giving anyone advice on the podcast that's listening in, but what I personally do is I exert the natural options. If I'm looking to treat something on myself, uh, whether it be topical or oral for a systemic effect and 9.9 times out of 10, that is going to be sufficient depending on how early you start it and the severity of the infection. And also what's the duration. So like an antibiotic regimen is like 21 days. What would a natural antibiotic take? Is it the same duration, same time if you're in good health or is it longer typically? Four days is a good window to determine if it's going to be effective or not. And that if you're not seeing a reduction and uh, improvement in your symptoms after yeah. about day four, then you need to switch gears. You need to course correct to something else, whether that's a different natural option or whether that's a pharmaceutical option. And so that's kind of the time window I look at. Now, there's a lot of things too with conventional antibiotics that can be life-saving, but they're also very damaging to the gut microbiome because they're not selective in what bacteria they're killing off. So they decimate your gut microbiome in a very negative way, which is why a lot of people who take a long course of antibiotics or frequent antibiotic use end up developing microbiome imbalances such as excess Easter candida and excess amount of fungus in the gut. Any number of these different um, dysbiotic issues in their gut bacteria, because when you wipe out a large portion of your gut bacteria via oral antibiotics, it paves the way for some of these different imbalances to take place and you become more susceptible to all sorts of other issues. And, you know, that impacts immune system function and, you know, on and on. So I think that they can be life-saving. I'm not against them. A lot of these things are not so, you know, black and white as people think like it's either you're for it or you're against it. You're on one side of the fence or the other. It's like, there's a lot of context that goes into these decisions. And I, I'm the type of person that's just open-minded. Like I want to use the best of modern science and the best of ancient wisdom and blend them together to make the most informed judgment as I can, given the resources and, you know, things that we have at our disposal. Man, yeah, I'll tell you, I, in, uh, I, I don't know if I shared this when we spoke, but in June, I had COVID, maybe it was May. May or June, I got COVID for like the the eighth time. My family likes, my, I call my family like uh, COVID sommeliers, like, oh, this one's this one's a little, uh, you know, Omicron with a hint of Delta, you know, just a t- tad of Delta. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's got good legs. Like yeah. we seem to get every variation or whatever, but uh-huh. not to minimize COVID, but whatever. Um, 
So I got that and that led to an ear infection. And then because of, uh, I don't know, a misdiagnosis on it a couple of times, I had to go through like three different antibiotic runs. And that did something to my stomach that I'm just now resolving in November, right? So six months, five months of just, oh my God, like it, I, I just crushed all my gut health. So I'm on probiotics and yogurt, whatever, right? anything I can do to kind of build it back. I had to go do medical procedures down here in the DR. Crazy. That'll come out in some other uh, other episode we could talk about. But um mm-hmm. But it is insane to think about the impact, like you said, of, of just crushing your gut biomes, your gut bacteria. And um, I mean, that's the thing. I, I, it kills me every time my kid gets something and we have, we've gone the traditional route and yeah, take this seven day thing of antibiotics and, you know, go from there. It just, ugh, I always wonder like, ah, there's got to be a different way. And now I know. So that's good. <laughs> yeah. I could always send you a few of my top options. I think that they would be essential to have, especially with little ones. And knowing, you know, almost like having a natural first aid kit of things that you could have at your disposal as first line of defense of things that, you know, are not going to be damaging long term, but can highly likely vast majority of time knock out the issue. Got it. Talking about COVID and everything. I like to keep things mainstream, non-controversial. So let's switch to this topic, which is very, very light. Let's talk about vaccines. (laughs) So, <laughs> so um get, let's get into that generally whether a covid vaccine is the obvious like you know we could we could that's a that's the clickbait one but yeah. vaccines in general how, how is it how is how are vaccines viewed in the holistic community from your perspective it varies based on the person but most of the time most i love the, the i love the disclaimers by the way you I are know, a good you're well, good at that like yeah <laughs> I want, I want to be clear, like there, there's not a lot of uh, all or all or nothing type of things when it comes to Do you mean to these that topics. everybody on this podcast can't just simply be treated and do exactly <laughs> what you say from never having met you or been reviewed by you? Yeah, I wish that was the case. That would make my job so easy, Jamie. Just one size fits all. That's Everyone right. on the planet gets the same benefit from this information. Uh, <laughs> but as far as your, your question, so you know, one of the things I hate is the censorship around these topics and that you can't even discuss them. Like my uh, Instagram account was banned in 2021, just for sharing natural health information, uh, not even talking about COVID specifically, not talking about vaccines. Uh, But there's definitely a big push for, um, you know, a certain agenda and anything that goes against that agenda, they want to shut you up as quickly and effectively as possible. And that just destroys free speech. It destroys having thoughtful and meaningful conversations around these topics. And so <clears throat> to answer your question, so I'm not just beating around the bush. You're good. Uh, I think that there's certain vaccines that can be helpful and have been proven to be efficacious. Uh, do I think they're a great idea for everyone? No. I think there's certain things that people have, predispositions and certain susceptibilities that make them more risk because there's going to be a risk and reward for any therapy, anything that you do. And you have to weigh that yourself. And I think that there needs to be less stigma around these anti-vaxxers or pro-vaxxers and less arguments and just saying, hey, do what you think is right for you and your family. I believe in medical freedom. I believe everyone should have the right to do whatever you want. If you want to get every single vaccine in the book times 10, have at it. And if you don't want to get any, cool. And if you're somewhere in between where you think, hey, maybe this is a good idea. I don't know about this one. It's only been around for like a year and there's some questionable side effects coming out. And I'm not that worried about the actual thing it's protecting you from quote unquote, protecting you. Uh, then I think you should be able to make that choice and not be just shunned from society and, you know, have all these people that think you're, uh, you know, a terrible person because you're making an informed decision based on the information you have. And I think that there's just too much stigma around these things. Have you, have you seen a, a, has COVID been good for business? I, that's a weird question, but I think about like in the school space, right? Like when, when people were being told that their kids need to mask up at five and six and seven and me included years of age all day, like, you know, or on a plane at three people to just did different things. I'm going to put my kid in a different kind of school. I'm going to homeschool or whatever. So that mm-hmm. the, the, I feel like COVID created a more of a push toward, toward these alternative school, you know, like that, like it hockey sticked it a bit, right? Like there was a movement toward it, you know, just like there is with holistic medicines, a movement toward it. It's trickling along and increasing year after year, but did COVID kind of accelerate that or, or even maybe, maybe when the vaccine became uh, an issue, did that accelerate sort of people flooding, you know, folks like you holistic practitioners for, Hey, look, you know, all right, now I've always known, you know, there's the big drug thing. I get it. Pharmaceutical reps are pushing drugs. The doctor's going to, but this is just, 
this is like yeah. the pinnacle of it. I need, I need out of this system. Have you seen that? That's what I would think, but I don't know. Yes, I have. There's definitely been a wake up call for a lot of people and realizing yeah. that, you know, I need to take my health into my own hands. And one of the best ways to do that is hire a professional that can give you the guidance and insights and accountability to take action and, you know, achieve that outcome. Now, it also was, I think, helpful for most businesses when you just because of the way the government handled it, when you inject all this money in the economy and you provide people with all these stimulus checks, well, guess what? They're going to be like, well, got some extra cash. Maybe I should go and, you know, hire this coach or this consultant or this practitioner or whoever it is. So I think it's been helpful for a lot of businesses. And even before COVID, you know, going back to when I started my practice, I've always done telemedicine and always been in the online space. So I was already kind of positioned for that. So when everything did get shut down and a lot of people got accustomed to doing Zoom calls and accustomed to doing things virtually, that was very in line with what I was already doing. So that was helpful that I was kind of positioned that way. Uh, didn't have a brick and mortar practice, didn't have a physical office overhead that I had to worry about. Like a lot of practitioners went through, you know, during the initial shutdowns. Interesting. I don't get the, it's funny. My wife, my wife is uh, looking at um, uh, going for an advanced degree virtually and the school she's looking at, it's a state school uh, is requiring a vaccine or the, an exemption, religious exemption or whatever. And she's like, I'm virtual. I, you know, we opted as a family not to be vaccinated. That was just our choice. And it's funny, like, I feel more free to admit that now than I did a year ago. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like yeah. as far as like the, but but there's still sort of this, like that, that this this uh, stigma, like there there is clear evidence, clear, it's undisputed that this vaccine poses risk. Right. Like there's clear evidence of that, just like there was at one point clear evidence that at the very beginning that it actually did prevent you from getting it. And then it morphed and that didn't work anymore. Right. Like, like sure. the very yeah. beginning, it was, hey, yeah, hey, great. You're vaccinated. You know, I remember the narrative. What was it was like, hey, if you get the vaccine, you don't need to mask up. You don't need to anything because um, because, uh, uh, you know, you're not going to you're not going to give it to anybody. Right. Or, or, or whatever. Um, only those unvaccinated people, those are the ones that are at risk. And then it like switched to like whatever, Omicron, some some transformer sounding variant. <laughs> and um, when that happened, right, it was like, oh, well, no, actually, uh, it doesn't matter either way. You can give it the same way. So it's like, so then why do you care if I'm vaccinated anymore? Right. Like mm-hmm. it, it's well, but your symptoms will be better. OK, well, if I want to be a be a uh, uh, what's the word, a glutton for punishment and and deal with heavier symptoms without taking that needle why do you give a shit? Why are you on me to be vaccinated if you and me can just as easily give it to somebody else? We can not only get it, but give it to somebody else. The difference is you're going to feel a little better maybe through the three or four day period or 10 day or whatever it might be uh, that you're that you're just demonstrating symptoms like that's now my choice. I mean, it always should be, but like that's truly now my choice. And now you're seeing evidence truly of I would get on a rabbit hole here, but 30, what is it, like 30 to 40 year old men or 20 to 4 year old men having like this massive increase in, in, uh, heart issues or, uh, yeah. uh I forget the phrase, uh, cardiac arrest, not, not arrest, but arrhythmia, uh, you would know better than me, but whatever it is, I don't know, uh, maybe just a general, this is more like uh, in your space or in not, but like, what is the obsession with this vaccine at this point? Like, do you have any sense of that? Do you, do you talk about this within your community? Like, what is the obsession with this vaccine? Do we come back to big pharma money? Is that it? That's the biggest thing I can see money and also just control and compliance uh, over the general public. Yeah. And, you know, but vaccines have been a big issue even before COVID. You know, not as mainstream, but I would go to all these health symposiums and hear people True. present on both sides of the topic. And, you know, you'd have certain parents that decided not to vaccinate their kids for, you know, very conventional or traditional childhood vaccines. And it always, like to your point, didn't make sense to me for the parents who were like so gung ho on it. And it's like, hey, if, you know, your child is not vaccinated, I don't want him playing with my child who is. And I'm like, so do you believe in the vaccine or not? Because if you believe in it, why does it matter? And if you don't, then why'd you get it? Like your, your logic is not there. And most of the things that have been, you know, implored here in this, all the regulations and stuff going on has not been very logical from the, from the get go. True. But the vaccine topic in general, Jamie, is something I don't get into a lot because it doesn't really matter to me whether or not you do it or don't do it. I'm still harping on the same thing. 
I'm still like, hey, take action on what you can and execute yeah. daily on eating nourishing foods, getting good quality sleep, managing stress, making sure you're covering your bases from a micronutrient perspective via targeted supplementation, making sure you're doing some form of exercise and some sauna and some cold plunge and some stress management and things that you enjoy and all the you know components of health that we can control. Because whether you got it or not, whether you regret it or you don't, whether you look down upon it or look up upon it, these things are still constants that really move the needle, that actually matter. So it's like kind of a futile argument in a lot of respects. And I have had a number of people come to me. Again, this is a small, you know, demographic of sure. you know my my worldview, who have had terrible side effects and terrible things happen after getting this specific vaccine that just got rolled out. Uh, and so, so I've kind of been in the circles hearing a lot about a lot of the bad stuff that's been happening. I also know a lot of people personally who got it. Nothing bad happened to them. They're sure. living. They seem to be totally fine. Who knows what's going to happen in the next several years or several decades? You know, we don't have any long term studies on this. But like you, I just I look at it in that I'm a healthy, vital, strong person with a healthy immune system. I'm not worried about COVID. I don't have any concerns over that particular virus. So why would I put an experimental injection into my body that, ha that definitely has potential side effects and is definitely riskier to me than COVID? It yeah. does, the risk reward does not pan out. There's just this, I love your perspective on it. There's like your, yours is the, is the side. And I think we're on the same part of this where it's like, like, you know, live and let live a little bit in this regard. Exactly. And, and I, there's just this shouting at each other thing that happens on both sides, right? Even those that have the live and let live, they're shouting that back at people or whatever. But there is this hierarchical feel that comes across, like if you're vaccinated and, and you were masked and if you kind of abided by what, mm -hmm. what was, you know, being told like, well, then you slot in societally higher than I do. And it sort of nose down to me of, you know, you need to consider this. What you're not understanding is this, like everyone's an overnight, overnight doctor because of, you know, one, one immunologist uh, who sits at the, at the seat of power who says, well, this is yeah. the way it is. And we just entrust him implicitly. It just, it bothers me. This whole discussion is, is very strange to me, but uh, I figured I'd ask you about it. Let's get off of that. We'll get off the yeah. vaccines. I do have this question. I, I got to believe in your practice um, more than traditional medicine mindset kind of plays in, you know, as far as, you know, um, uh, you mentioned saunas and cold plungers. I, I don't know if you call that mindset or like sort of stress relief or whatever it might be, but what about that? What about mindset, quantum physics, concepts like that? Are these part of the holistic realm or are those kind of completely separate? One of the, it's one of the first things I do when I work with someone is really focus on the psychology of behavior change and really focus on specific strategies for habit formation. Because when you look at the health and wellness and fitness sector in general, most people know generally what to do. Like there are nuances and specifics. And like, as you were going through your gut health, I'm sure you were like, well, what probiotic should I take? And what should yeah. I do here? But for the most part, people know I should be active. I shouldn't sit on my ass all day. I shouldn't eat terrible, highly processed junk food and fast food and fried food and, you know, high sugar desserts and drink a bunch of alcohol. Like, that's not good. Like, I think everyone pretty much knows that. And while they might not know what the ideal diet is, they know like, Hey, if I eat some plant foods and some unprocessed animal foods, that's probably going to be a lot better than going down to Taco Bell. And then even to, you know, moving beyond that, like most people know, like I shouldn't stay up till 2am binging on Netflix. I should probably get some quality sleep. And so a lot of the things that I teach people while some of them are very nuanced and very specific to their issues, and we do a lot of functional medicine lab testing and really optimize where they're at from a number of areas, most of it is like, how can we get you to stick to something that's healthy for you on a consistent basis and not just go back and forth? And that comes back to mindset. And that comes back to changing their psychology around health and wellness and changing their daily habits and their daily inputs, building positive associations and driving systemic behavior change. Because if you can do that, even if you don't have the nuances and the details specifically dialed in, you're going to be better off than 99% of people that are failing to do that, that are just kind of either not caring about their health or on this constant yo-yo, this constant roller coaster back and forth of like, I'm eating well, I'm getting fit, I'm doing good for like a few months, and then they fall off, and then they get back on, and they fall off, and they just go through this cycle for decades. And they never actually attain a consistent, true lifestyle change. They're just on these programs and these diets and these, you know, some of them fads, some of them are, you know, good 
programs or good diets. But if you can't stick with it, it's not a good option for you. You know, so that's a big part of the work I do to get good results in my practice is like, I can tell you all the best things to do, Jamie, all the 10 out of 10 perfect things that you should eat, supplements you should take, type of exercises you should do, ways to optimize your morning and your evening and your sleep and you name it. But if you're not going to do it, it's not going to do you any good. It's not going to benefit you if I give you all these, this blueprint and this framework and you're like, well, I hate those foods, right? I'm not going to stick to this. Yeah. I don't like this. I don't have time for this. I have a family and I have business and I have all these things going on. So it's really about how can we integrate these practices seamlessly into your current lifestyle that don't overthrow your lifestyle. And in a way that you're like, hey, this is actually enjoyable. Like I actually like many aspects of the process, not just the results, not just the outcome. I can enjoy and appreciate the day-to-day process. And that's what's going to keep you moving forward for many decades to come, not just a few weeks. And that means a lot. Everything you said makes so much sense. And I couldn't help, like my brain kept coming back to it. Like this one topic I want to ask you about, because you, you mentioned about, you know, uh, I call it discipline, mindset, uh, uh, you know, desire to stay on course, all of this stuff. I feel like of all the things you talked about, and I know this is probably for me and many, many people like me um, that are kind of go, go all the time, but optimal sleep helps a lot of that, right? Like when I get a good night's sleep, Yep. Right. I'm I'm able to be a lot more heady and, and, you know, not as moody and not want to go eat the thing to make me feel better. That doesn't, isn't very good for me, all that stuff. I, when you're working with people and this is a generalization, but I'm just, it's more of a curiosity and maybe you can't even, you can't even quantify it, but I, I, I would guess that there's factors in sleep that are both environmental as well as internal stress management related versus, you know, temperature of room or whatever it yep. might be. What yep. is the, is there a mix? Is it like, man, most of it, 90% or 80% or whatever is stress management or the internal. It's, it's just, it's more your mind than it is like, you know, the, the chili pad that you should get for your bed, or is it the other way? Is it more environmental? Uh, uh, I, I don't know. I'm kind of curious if you could talk through that a little bit, and then I'll ask another question on sleep after that. I love this topic because sleep is truly the foundation of your, your life foundation of your health for sure. Because it doesn't matter how perfect your nutrition is or your exercise program is. If your sleep is crap, you are going to suffer and life is going to kind of suck if you're not yeah. sleeping well and you can't sleep. And so to answer your question, I think it's more so biochemical than ex- than environmental. Now, both biochemical. What do you mean? Yeah. I'm sorry, so, my, my brain, I'm not that smart. Biochemical. What do you mean by biochemical? So like you said, the internal things, like having your neurotransmitters dialed in, making sure that your circadian rhythm is aligned and you're releasing the proper hormones and signals within your brain and body at the right times to facilitate good sleep. And so it's unlikely that it's more likely that if you fix that, you're going to fix someone's sleep than if you just get the temperature of the room right and you make sure there's no ambient lights and you make sure there's not a ton of other issues in their environment. If you can optimize the internal biology of someone, that's what's going to be the biggest needle mover. If you're so I'm thinking of me, like what keeps me up before bed is my brain just is going. I'm always it's like thinking to do lists, things like that. And maybe it's maybe I'm an extreme procrastinator. I, I don't know. But when you say biochemical, that makes a lot of sense to me. But what I what I can't resolve in my brain is like, how do I get to the biochemical through all the noise of my brain? Or is it am I looking at it the wrong way? Like if I if I work on the biochemical aspects, does that quiet the brain? Does that make any sense? I don't know if that question it makes, makes total sense. sense. And it's it. it's both ends. So there are ways that I would say, hey, if you have this racing thoughts and this racing, you know, your mind's just going, I would recommend you use a natural amino acid called GABA. Pharma-GABA is a fantastic inhibitory neurotransmitter that can really help to lower some of that like mental uh, stimulation later into the evenings. It doesn't have any side effects, doesn't have any downsides, it's not addictive. And so there's a lot of key nutrients in that nature that I would say, hey, Jane, we should try taking some of this before bed. And and in addition to that, I want you to do some journaling where we write down any, what I call mental notes. Like, I got to remember to call this person tomorrow. Oh, I can't forget about this. Oh, I just got this idea. You got to write all that shit down and get it out of your head, get it down on paper, do a little bit of journaling. And then the other thing I'd love to do before bed that really helps with this is dropping the body from a sympathetic, you know, kind of fight or flight nervous system state into this parasympathetic rest and digest. And there's two strategies that are really helpful for this. One is 
deep breathing coupled with deep stretching. This one two punch combo really opens up different pathways and helps you drop into that more calm, relaxed nervous system. So you would do a three to four second count inhale through the nose, deep into the belly, and then a double the double that length exhale. So a, a six to eight second count exhale. So you're going in and then you're doing twice as long on the way out. Through the mouth? Through the nose. And the exhale could be the mouth or the nose, but you oh, always okay. want to inhale through the nose because we inhale have nose. nervous system receptors in our nostrils that really key uh, play a key role in the excitatory or relaxing kind of properties of how our bodies are going to function. So our breathing mechanics are like human operating system one-on-one. We learn all this shit in school, dude, about, you know, algebra, geometry, these topics we're never going to fucking use, but we never learn how to breathe. Like monks, that's one of the first things uh, these monks in these monasteries teach the young kids that's is how true. to use their breath work to regulate their emotions, to regulate their physiological states. And I think the breath work in multiple avenues, like deep, intense breath work, like holotropic breath work or Wim Hof, but also these relaxing breathing mechanics that can shift your state lower blood pressure, lower resting heart rate, decrease your nervous system, uh, you know, engagement almost so that you're dropping into more of a relaxed state physically. It's the number one tool that I teach people because it's so freaking profound. And it's one of the most accessible tools that we all have. Like you don't need to buy anything. You don't need to go anywhere. You don't, you just literally can do it any, anytime, anywhere. You always have your breath. So back to what I was getting at doing this calming breath work, coupled with some deep stretches. And I'm not talking like a yoga class, like warrior three crazy shit. I'm talking about floor stretches, dude, where you're just like on your back, opening up your hamstrings, your hip flexors, you know, just doing some very relaxing floor stretches in cadence with your breath. Five to 10 minutes of that will work wonders. Like that will put you in just a total Zen out spot. Second strategy, a little more time intensive, but same concept is to, this is something I learned from this guy I interviewed on my podcast a while back named Ian Clark. And there was a study done that looked at uh, ways to switch over into the nervous system state. Because a lot of people, especially hard driving driven, you know, entrepreneurs like yourself, Jamie, that always have these ideas and are, you know, go, 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 wanting to create, wanting to provide value. You get locked in this sympathetic state. Like you're always in this nervous system state. You're like, what do you mean rest and digest, Ryan? Like, I, I don't know if I felt that in years. And the way to drop back out of that is actually about a two-week process where every night before bed, and you can do it any time of day, you lay on your back with your legs elevated. So your legs are elevated like a 90-degree position. So imagine you're on your back on the floor, your hamstrings, if you're doing it like on a couch, your hamstrings are where your calves usually go on the couch, your calves are where your butt goes. So your legs are at 90 degrees, your thighs are vertical to your torso. And you do this for about 20 to 30 minutes every night. You just lay in this position and you just do some breathing, you meditate, you relax. And what this does is it draws excess blood flow from the legs back into the gut. Because when we're in this excitatory state, human physiology pulls blood in the extremities as a defense mechanism. So we can run away, fight, kick, defend ourselves, you know, as a way to be on our kind of high alert. So we're ready to go. And when you do this strategy, which I've done with many people and they found it highly effective, you draw the blood from the, especially from the legs, because that's where we have the you know biggest muscle groups and the most blood back into the gut. It really helps with the nervous system reset, really helps to reintegrate you back into that parasympathetic state. And it's just incredibly relaxing. And so this is another strategy I found either in addition to, or instead of the deep breathing and stretching that you can do in the evenings to totally unwind, put yourself in the Zen out space, decompress from the day. And so those are the types of things. If you, you know, we were working together, Jamie, I say, Hey, let's try one. You don't have to do all three. Let's try one of these. Uh, and let's try some pharmacabo, or maybe we look at your lab work and we decide, Hey, you know, you've got some issues around serotonin and precursors. Maybe we bring in some amino acids to help with serotonin that will produce melatonin naturally to help with your sleep quality. And we work on that stuff first. And then as we move forward, we might say, Hey, Ryan, I think I'm getting up a lot because like my wife likes to room at 85 degrees and I like it at 65 degrees and I'm freaking sweating my ass off. So yeah, maybe we get you a chili pad or we, you know, change some of the actual things around your environment because those things do move the needle, especially with sleep quality, getting into the deep and REM stages of sleep, stage three and stage four sleep, they can be very impactful. But if you're having like insomnia and you're having trouble falling asleep or you wake up and you can't get back to sleep, it's oftentimes something going on internally. Sure. 
No, that makes total sense, man. That's interesting. I'm, I'm actually going to try that tonight because my brain, the journaling, it's funny. Like I know that I know better than that. Like I, I when I write things down, it kind of empties the head and I have, I have a, a better time getting to sleep. Um, but I'll listen to like a, like a meditation or a, like a sleep story or something like that, just to kind of like get my brain cleared sometimes. But that's my biggest thing. But I love the point about the breathing. One of my favorite guests, I talk about it all the time on this, on this podcast is Sean Casey who was a, a major league all-star. And he um, he chronicles in his in his episode how when he was a kid, he learned about breath work, playing baseball and how to kind of get yourself calm in the box and how that in the, like the last at bat of the World Series in 2008 or nine or whatever it was, um, he's down. Oh, two next strike. The, the game's over. They lose the World Series. And the, the place was deafening and how he stepped out and went back to the basics of his breath work. And now we had like a like a clear the mechanism moment. If you ever watched mm -hmm. Love of the Game, right? Like the, he's like, I couldn't hear the crowd anymore. And he mm -hmm. went out and he actually after he got the count back in his favor, then laced one to right, hit a double and next guy got out and they lost the World Series. But still, like for him, it was it was the breath work in that moment. I have a coach that talks about that all the time. Like you can change a lot in a minute and a half of breathing, right? Like breathing Absolutely. is so foundational. So that makes incredible sense from a nutrition standpoint. Um, is it, is it, I, I know it's probably of equal importance, but if you were going to start with somebody or anybody, are you looking at what they need to cut out or what they need to add in first? Cause sugar's the easy one. It feels like, like if you avoid sugar, you're already X percentage ahead or whatever, or is it, is it more like what people are? And this is again, generalized, like you work with a lot of people different, but generally speaking, are people in need to eliminate certain parts from their diet? more or is it more like they don't even have these certain nutrients in their diet or maybe it's an equal balance of both it's definitely some of both but if i were to choose one it'd be eliminate you know most of the time it's the crap people are eating not so much that they're not eating enough or getting enough nutrients now micronutrients when you look at an optimal intake of all the various vitamins and minerals that we need for you know really thriving as a human it's hard to get enough of through food alone because of the way our food is grown in these soils that have been depleted and all these different micronutrients, the amounts of various vitamins in, you know, let's say a tomato or, you, you know, pick your plant food or animal food of choice is significantly less than it used to be. And that's just something that's been well documented and it's just a fact. And so you couple that with our bodies needing more of these things because we have so many, we have an onslaught of different environmental toxins and stressors and all these things that our ancestors didn't have to deal with on a chronic basis the way that we do today. So that drives up our need for these nutrients and depletes our stores of various vitamins and minerals, uh, such as magnesium or vitamin C or you know any number of these things. And so because of that, even when someone is eating very well, I still see tremendous benefit with targeted high quality supplementation. And I have to put those caveats in there because it's not like, Hey, go down and get your, you know, Costco men's one a day vitamin. That's just synthetic crap that you're not really digesting and has all these additives and nonsense mm -hmm. in it. Uh, or go get this rancid oxidized fish oil because you heard omega threes are good for you. They're neat. They're the supplement world is the wild, wild West, Jamie, you know, there's so little regulation and so much crap on the market and just this ridiculous amount of options for the average consumer to sort through. And you like go to the shelf at Whole Foods and you're like, wow, there's like 14 different brands of this one B complex or this one vitamin C. I can, you know, I don't know what to buy. I don't know which, what amount I need. I don't know like what these ingredients are. I don't know when to take it with or without food or multiple times a day or once a day or once a week. It's hard to really sort through a lot of that. So though that's another big specialty where I work with people on is doing lab testing. So we know what your body actually needs. We're not just guessing. We're not saying, Hey, everyone needs vitamin D. So you need vitamin D because right. some people don't, I don't take vitamin D, but I live in San Diego and I get a ton of sensible sun exposure. And I basically live outside in a lot of the day and that I'm getting tons of sunshine. So my vitamin D is around 65 to 70 all year round without any additional supplementation. That's not common, but if I were to just blindly start taking a bunch of vitamin D, I'd be getting way too much. And so I like to do testing and I'll use blood testing. I'll use organic acids testing, which tests for a number of different nutrients, as well as neurotransmitter balance, gut microbiome imbalances. It looks at your mitochondria health. It's, it's very comprehensive and giving you a lot of good data that you can't really get through blood work. And then by taking this information and then looking at the person's diet and also getting a good picture, like a good case study of what they got going on, like 
Are you suffering from fatigue? Are you suffering from brain fog? Are you dealing with issues around weight loss and having trouble improving body composition? And you're, you know, will help guide those recommendations to like, do we need some metabolic support because your hemoglobin A1C and your blood sugar is really high? Do we need something that more around immune support? Cause you're getting sick every three weeks because your kids are going to school and they're bringing stuff back and you're not able to really fight it off without developing these crazy symptoms. So there's a lot of context there as well. Um, but that's basically got us into a rabbit hole of supplementation from your initial question of whether people should eat whether they need more stuff or eliminate stuff. And it's almost always eliminate and then bringing in something to fill the gap. Cause it's hard for humans to just stop doing something without having something else to substitute in there. It's a lot easier. If I say, Hey, Jamie, we're going to cut out your you know favorite chocolate cake after dinner. But instead of having that, I'm going to give you this really high quality cacao powder that is sweetened with a little monk fruit. And you're going to be able to use that in some coconut milk or something and make this delicious hot chocolate. You know, that's a lot easier. That bridge is a lot easier to make that transition than just saying, hey, cut it out. You're a robot and I'm telling you what to do. So just stop because we have habits and emotions and all these complex feelings around food. So it has to be done in a way that's going to be actually sustainable and effective for you. My next question was going to be in supplementation. So I honestly appreciate you going into it because I was like, that, that was, you led right into where I was going to go. So you've done this before. Good segue. Good self segue. <laughs> that was amazing. All right. So a bunch of GoBundance guys have worked with you. One of them referred me over to you uh, and we had a great conversation. I appreciate you taking time with me uh, recently. And the guy that sent sent you over to me, man, I, it, tons of respect for, he's a smart guy. And, and I know you work with a ton of guys and they're all great. So, uh, you know, GoBundance guy or anybody comes to you right? What does that look like? Give us your process. So what are they, what are they getting? Is it a, a, yeah, to work with Ryan Kennedy, what does that look like? When uh, I work with a lot of GoBundance guys, it's usually one-on-one. So I have multiple kind of avenues in my practice. I have one-on-one patient consulting where it's like, let's cut straight to the chase. I want to pay you a lot of money so that I don't waste any time. And you <laughs> tell me exactly what I need, when to do it, how to do it. And then you hold me accountable and make sure I don't, you know, essentially skip out and bitch out on the things that we talk about. Yeah. So that's most the GoBundance guys and most like the entrepreneurs, business owners, people that are really value their time and have the resources to say, I want to pay you premium so that I don't have to go learn all this shit. I just want the direct advice from the horse's mouth. The other option is I have group programs uh, where it's more of a group setting, similar, you know, same information, People get the same value, but it requires more for you to show up and go through some of the backend information and protocols and show up to the group calls, ask questions, things like that. Uh, and then I have like, you know, courses and books and things that kind of go where it's like all on you. There's no support sure. when it comes to one on one. I imagine that's more so what you're asking about. Uh, sure. I like to bring people on initially where we'll do an intake. So we'll have an, a conversation to start off because I don't like to bring people on that aren't committed that aren't in a position to make the changes that we're going to want to make and are not a good fit to work together because that's a waste of their money. It's a waste of my time and no one wins with that scenario. So I always screen people. First of all, next I'll have people say, Jamie, you come to me and you're like, Ryan, I'm ready to rock and roll. I want to achieve X, Y, and Z. I'm struggling with X, Y, and Z. What do you think? Can you help me? And I say, Jamie, I got you. Let's make it happen. Let's get going. And we kick things off. I have you do an intake where I get a whole bunch of background information about what you're currently doing, what you tried in the past. And then I usually will start with our initial consultation where I'll set you up with some foundational protocols. Maybe we order some lab testing, depending on what you have, what you've done in the past, kind of take a big audit, like everything you got going, what's working for you, what's not, learn more about your personality. What do you like? What do you don't like? What's kind of going to be things that will integrate into your lifestyle. What time of days do you have available for things like exercise, nutrition? We map this shit out together. Like, I don't just say, Hey, Jamie, do I, you know, do A, B, and C. And we'll talk in a couple of weeks. I'm like, no, Jamie, we're going to train four days a week. What time of day can you train? This is how long it's going to take. Is it going to be at your house or is it going to be at the gym? I'll design the program for you. Here's what we're going to execute on. Same thing goes with all these other aspects, because that's the type of direction and implementation that's needed for actual results, rather than just talking about concepts and philosophies and saying, hey, it'd be really good, Jamie, if you did a little more weightlifting. And it'd be really good for your results if you, you know, cut out those sweets at night. But how are we actually going to take that and put it into practice in a way that you're like, all right, I got this. This is easy. I can do this. Um, So I really like to kind of guide people through that in a more intensive way. 
And then I meet for follow-up consultations. Typically every two weeks, we have a we have an appointment where we go through and recap and add new layers. So I start with the foundation and it's just a few key, key things that are really going to move the needle. I call it kind of the low-hanging fruit, which we're going to provide the most results with the least amount of time and effort. And then every time we meet, we add layers to that. So we're adding layers to this foundation. So it's not like information overload. I'm not saying, hey, Jamie, here's 42 pages of protocols. I need you to make these 80 changes overnight. And you're like, what the fuck, dude? I can't. Right. I mean, I, I came to you because I'm like busy as shit and trying to feel yeah. better. Not so I could add four hours a day to my current routine that I don't have. And so we really kind of work through that and bringing it, bringing it in incrementally and systemically so that you're able to adopt these changes pretty seamlessly. And it doesn't feel like an uphill battle. It doesn't feel overwhelming. It doesn't feel all that challenging in all honesty. And then as we're gaining momentum, we're building wins, we're getting results. That's when we continue to kind of put the foot on the gas and continue to excel. Um, and so that's kind of a, you know, 30,000 foot view of what it looks like and the types of things I focus on and work with people on. Uh, and then, you know, there's obviously a lot of that we didn't cover where I, especially guys, I work with optimizing hormones and testosterone and what things mm -hmm. can we shift biochemically that are going to make this process easier. It's going to be easier to work out because you're more motivated and you're seeing good results with muscle gain. It's going to be easier to lose fat because you're gaining muscle. And I'm a big proponent of this concept of muscle centric medicine. A lot of people are looking at weight loss and obesity as being overly fat. But the reality is it's because people are under muscled and muscle is our body's metabolic currency. So the more muscle you have, the more calories you burn at rest, the more calories you burn when you exercise, the more calories you burn when you sleep, you just have a higher expenditure of energy, which is a good thing because mm. I don't know about you, but I really enjoy eating. I love yeah. to eat and sure. I love to enjoy good food, but I don't like to clog up my system and gain weight and feel like shit. So by having more muscle, I can enjoy more delicious food and still be really healthy and vital and not have it impact me in any negative way. So I like this concept of like a high flux lifestyle, high energy in, high energy out. Now, also when it comes to muscle, it's the number one way that we can predict how well you are going to age. It is truly the organ of longevity. And not only is it important for locomotion, you know, basic tasks and being able to get up and down the stairs and carrying groceries and get up and down off the toilet as we get older, but it's really important for our endocrine system, our cardiovascular system. I mean, you, you name a system in the body, muscle is very closely correlated in how our bodies can optimize the function of these systems. So I'm a big proponent of focusing not so much on like, how can we restrict you? How can we cut things out uh, and make you feel miserable? But more so like, how can we make it so that you can enjoy some sweets and you can enjoy some of these favorite foods without sacrificing the results? And one of the key ways that I do that with, especially, um, you know, people that are under muscled is we build some lean muscle mass by way of optimizing testosterone, optimizing your training routine, optimizing your nutrition. And that makes a massive difference. Amazing, man. I love, I mean, everything about what you're talking about just resonates with me. So I, I appreciate all of what you talked about. And from a holistic standpoint, I mean, we're talking about nutrition, sleep, movement and exercise, your environment, stress management, functional medicine, testing, mindset, routines. Like, I mean, it's literally like the, the 360 of you is what you get when you come to you, right? As a holistic practitioner, which is you know, that's an incredible thing. And I like what you said, you know, uh, working with you directly is almost like done for you, at least the program, you have to do the work, then you have yeah. kind of more done with you. And then, you know, like you do it kind of thing. Like the, that's the, exactly the, the right. three uh, areas that you're in. So if people want to learn about you, man, how do people find you, reach out, read more about you, whatever it might be, what's the best way to get in touch with you? RyanKennedyHealth.com uh, is my website where you could, you know, learn more about working together and uh, book an appointment. If you'd like to schedule a call, see if it's a good fit. Uh, I'm pretty active on Instagram at Ryan C. Kennedy and then uh, YouTube and podcast, uh, the Ryan Kennedy show, where I bring on different experts in the field of health, wellness, biohacking, different scientists, authors, people who I really look up to respect, have learned a lot from, and we distill the information, but in a way that also provides a lot of practical takeaways where you can go out and make some changes to your life based on the information you heard that in that episode. And then I also bring in people on personal development, mindset, all sorts of other areas of life optimization. Um, so that's been, and I'm going to have Jamie on soon. So if you want to hear Jamie on the show and uh, all the <laughs> wisdom he has to share, you'll have to come check it out. Yeah. My holistic uh, is like, you know, it's Twinkie and then Ho-Ho, 
And then I try to get a balance between the two. No, I'm just kidding. I've actually really good. Sugar is always my vice. And I've been really good about, about, it's funny you said about replacing it with, you know, sweet alternatives. I love the sweet taste of sweet alternatives, but I know there's a lot of work at work I could be doing. So yeah. Well, there's also, yeah, we'll we'll have to save it for another time, but there's also one of the things I didn't share that people always love is how can you have your cake and eat it too? So (laughs) what can I take and what can I do to enjoy some sweets and not have it derail my progress. So taking things like berberine and different things to help stabilize blood sugar before your meal, and then doing some specific things after moves the needle in terms of being able to have offset a lot of damage. Cause that's one of the big questions I get. It's like, Hey Ryan, I, I want to go out and have a few drinks at this wedding or bachelor party or, you know, with my, with my buddies for the, for the game or whatever what can I do? What can I do to offset that damage? How can I mitigate some of the downsides of unhealthy behavior while still partaking in the unhealthy behavior? And so that's something I work with a lot of people on because we're all human. I like having to drink just as much as the next guy. I don't do it often because I don't love the trade out at this point in my life, but it's something that I I totally understand and that we want to be able to enjoy our lives and not feel, you know, in a state of restriction all the time. It makes a lot of sense, man. Like you think about the entrepreneur, right? You get into the nitty gritty of the systems and the processes, even the expense lines, right? Like what's this $9 expense, right? Like you Mm -hmm. optimize and you tweak and you hack your business so much. But Mm -hmm. what you're essentially doing is saying, yeah, same mindset, but with your physical being, the thing that's the of the most importance, right? Like from a sleep perspective, nutrition perspective, exercise perspective, and even mitigating, you know, life, right? Like you said, go out, have a drink with your friends, go watch the game or whatever it might be, or have that one sweet. There's, there's little, uh, you know, ways of biohacking or ways of optimizing even that experience so that you can recover faster, gain, you know, gain, uh, have gain, not gains, but, uh, you know, not have the, the losses you would have by just doing it without a plan. So. I think right. it's brilliant, man. A brilliant, brilliant point. So, brother, I appreciate this. Thanks for coming on. Always, uh, always a pleasure chatting with you. Looking forward to being on your show as well. And uh, yeah, brother, appreciate you doing this. Thank you. Likewise, Jamie. Thanks for having me, dude.